uh, welcome to the United Show. I am your host Solomon Vot. For this week's episode for My Life in Tech, we have David. David, welcome finally here. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Solomon, for having me here. All right. So, David, My Life in Tech guest uh, previous episode, we are putting human faces to some of the innovative startups, uh, investments, and policy formations driving technology sector in Uganda and then usually in the show what we started with was your genesis in tech but first of before you go there uh, how has been your reception of uh, my life in tech episode so far this being last uh, the last of season one uh, what what uh, do you uh, what do you say about my life in tech specifically uh, I've been uh, following the podcast. I think they have been my favorite, really, uh, you know, listening to different voices in tech in Uganda and, uh, you know, getting their stories and their experiences in the industry has been quite illuminating for me, uh, you know, listening to Joanita on Michael Nitegika or Stephen Mosoke. It's been really incredible, you know, hearing from some of the pioneers and the voice their their experiences yeah true it has been a long journey from uh yeah, our friend is ivan up to here so david uh talk tell us now your genesis of life uh, in tech uh where where has it all started from has it compass let's see it out um i i can't quite really point to a specific epoch in time when I uh, got in tech, but what is uh, quite probably memorable to me is my time uh, in Form 6 vacation, right? So um, after finishing a very grueling experience in A-level, you know, two academic, uh, very pressurizing, you know, we had this relaxed Form 6 vacation where I had the opportunity to do something outside of, you know, the academics. Uh, so I got the opportunity to work at an internet cafe uh, in Kamocha. At the time, I didn't really know much about computers or the internet, but I had previous um, encounter with computers at school, but not much, completely nothing, because at the time, computers were really few. Uh, they were quite uh, intimidating. Which year was that? Was uh, that it, 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 let's say early 2000s, yeah, 2003, 2004, back in May. Uh, so, yeah, I got into this thing, uh, the internet, via an internet cafe, and it was, wow, it was an, it was an explosion. It was, it was different, literally, getting to a world where you have information at your fingertips without really... Uh, having access to a huge library because then information was constrained in the classroom and in libraries that were well staffed. But now you literally had all this knowledge at your fingertips that you could literally just Google anything that you wanted to know and you had it. That was mesmerizing for me. And from then on, I think my career was set. So that's that's how you picked uh, pick the curiosity for it. Then uh, when you joined campus, I understand you did engineering course, right? Yeah. Okay. So how about uh, you with the knowledge of uh, the internet by then? Then joining campus, has it really shaped your experience to less what later turns out to be your career in technology or 
nothing attributed to it. I think my uh, <clears throat> I did electrical engineering at Macquarie, but that time was really a pass through for me because <clears throat> it seems to me like you know um, my career was already set from my form six vacation. Uh, I got to campus. I did engineering, very theoretical. The lab, there were, there were no labs. You couldn't get to do anything. And yet with computers, a computer was something you could do quite a lot of things with it, right? Without much, you could, uh, you know, do code, build an app, a website, um, you know, run simulations, uh, read a couple of blogs on the internet, blog yourself, and all that. Like, this was a productivity tool that you could do anything it was like you know one of those toys that you could do a thousand things with mm. whereas my course was quite dry and nothing much was really going on in the classroom apart from you know uh passing exams and going on yeah, yeah so, so that, i'm picking a feeling that uh dignited maybe just got uh dignited as a blog or tech blog or something you started pursuing while you were at campus so is it uh, tell, uh, walk us down that journey of of writing uh, consumer tech news ever since and how you got introduced into that? So um, I really just started following tech blogs majorly at campus, Engadget, uh, ReadWrite, uh, GigaOM, uh, TechCrunch, and I would sometimes just walk out of the boring classroom session and just go and read a blog. Uh, in the inter in the in the computer lab, right? <clears throat> so I was quite fascinated with what was uh, developing at the time. Uh, the iPhone was, you know, ga gaining mainstream. That was two thousand seven, and th these were basically milestones in technology, right? You had the iPhone coming up. Then the next year we had three G coming up. I think Orange Uganda had launched, and they were now introducing three G internet yeah. in Uganda. These were leaps and bounds in technology. Basically, things that were not had before were happening. So as hooked already, and even after graduation in 2010, uh, this was it for me. Like I basically just had to ride with the wave. Uh, following these things, uh, 3G, uh, smartphone evolution, Android had launched, uh, Google had uh, released the smartphone with, um, was it HTC? Yeah, the HTC One. And it was leaps and bounds in what you could do with technology then. And it was really exciting. Um, <clears throat> you know, the digitization of businesses and... Um, a uh, couple of processes was going on, right? Um, and the internet, people had started to appreciate what the internet could do. Social media or Web 2.0 was beginning to evolve at the time. And in Uganda in particular, you had a lot of, a lot of people on Twitter, you know, just voicing out what's happening. Everyone was now a journalist, literally reporting uh, on stories in real time. So this was a time of walk to work 20, 2011, around that time. No, 20, 2011 was walk to work uh, with basically the um, leader of opposition. And people were just tweeting in real time what was happening in the streets, the protests, 
And it was amazing by just following a hashtag, you could know what is happening out there without necessarily <laughs> being in the streets yourself and facing the police uh, brutality. Um, so this this is it. This was now uh, the beginning of the of the decade 2010 going forward. There's a lot that was beginning to evolve in the world of technology, uh, not just in Uganda, but actually even in the most part of Africa, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. It's the whole of Sub-Sahara. So I think, uh, so David, just, uh, so David, this, this brings me to, for, for me to talk about, I know Dignited is among uh, the consumer tech blogs in Sub-Sahara Africa, but Dignited ranks around number two, top five. <clears throat> Uh, I think so. Yes, think so. So, so this takes more than one man's job to to build something as huge as Dignited. So, uh, uh, what what is your position at uh, Dignited? Well, at Dignited, um, I mostly uh, mostly run uh, product management and a bit of editorial oversight. Okay. Uh, just looking at the stories and the content that we need to push out there and then work with the team to achieve that objective. Yes, so how do you do that? And this brings me to the, the question of team building. Because uh, building a team is something which is not plug and play. And, and then I need you to talk to us around your experience doing this for over a decade with the Ignited team. I know you have seen a lot of talent come and go, uh, a lot of really good uh, writers or editors and then also, just a quick uh, another question after that is it's about the, the impact of media. Uh, last time, uh, I think I was sharing with you uh, the Flips podcast. Yeah. I need you also to say a word or two on uh, the impact you think Dignited has had on, on the tech ecosystem the whole, across Uganda as well or the Sub Sahara Africa. Your blueprint or involvement of Dignited and the team on. Sub-Saharan African tech, tech space? Oh, those are really big questions to answer. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I'll start with that team building aspect. Um, so what we do in Dignited is uh, sort of journalism, but not entirely journalism. It's an evolution <laughs> of journalism, if you, if you will. Uh, because the internet has basically... Uh, lower down the cost of production in regards to uh, publishing. I, it's been quite incredible getting a lot of people to create content online. So at the time, because the uh, speeds were slow, it was mostly tech, I mean, um, uh, text-driven sort of content. So articles, blogs, tweets, uh, Facebook posts, and, and so on that you could achieve. <clears throat> so everyone was really publishing uh, content either on their personal handle on Twitter or an enthusiastic blog on WordPress or Blogger or uh, joining a multi-author blog like uh, Dignited or TechWiz or uh, TechCabal, right? <clears throat> but uh, getting to the, that level of maturity, uh, it hasn't really been easy right yes you can write but now there is writing quite professionally on uh multi multiple uh topics about technology that has not really been quite 
easy to develop, uh, right? And the area that we are um, uh, that we are in is not exactly journalistic in the sense that you're going out there in the field and you're looking for stories. No, this is really about expert uh, domain knowledge in particular uh, topics that people can write about. You know, maybe Web Web 2.0, and you're writing about uh, companies like Google, Twitter, Facebook, and what they are doing, or you know, you're writing about smartphones and the specifications and the technologies that are coming out of that. So that is domain uh, knowledge rather than, you know, a journalistic flair that you, you know, you, that we are used to in the newspapers. <clears throat> so building that team has, has not really been quite easy because you have to develop this talent right from the ground up. It's not something you're going to get out, uh, out there. Right, I think that has been a huge uh, challenge. Uh, now to the next question about the impact. The, uh, did you say the impact that Dignited has had? Yes, yes, yes true. I can't really say unless an, an outsider really uh, tells us. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll be blowing my own trumpet. Yes, but what I can say is that we have managed to put out a lot of content that was previously unavailable in uh, in multiple areas, right? And, you know, some of this content has been neglected uh, or ignored completely by mainstream media, particularly in technology and, you know, startups and innovation. So I think that is something that we have particularly mm-hmm. achieved and it's out there on, online and you know someone who want to know or to trace back the history or the evolution of uh, technology or innovation in Uganda can actually get some of that material uh, from the website and now we've scaled to Kenya and Nigeria and we're sort of doing the same you know reporting on some of the stories of uh, you know startups like Flutterwave or uh, uh, Paystack or Piggy Bank or Piggy Vest uh, or Kuda Bank and so forth. And now this knowledge or this information is uploaded for probably future reference. Exactly. Right. I mean, it's like the same story because I, I, I got to read about Daniel Musiga's story about uh, Safeboard in those days. Yeah. Safeboard has just, uh, just started. Exactly. And I really, really see that is something impactful. So, David, this brings me, when, when we talk of talent, you talked a lot about talent and building talent. This brings me to your journey in software development. Right. Uh, you've been writing code uh, probably like for, for over a decade, 10 years plus. Yes, since and 2010. Since 2010, yes. And just, I need you to uh, walk us down <coughs> how you. Uh, you started the software development, and then what sort of stuff were you doing in the beginning, and then how has it shaped you so far? And then, quick one, maybe later we shall talk about the software the talent sourcing, software development talent sourcing. Right. Yeah, yes. So my journey in writing code was, I think, out of necessity or accidental, out of curiosity or adventure. Can't really tell. Uh, but it's one of those things that, okay, just had this idea, I needed to get it out there, but then I didn't have the skills, so I just had to start learning uh, code by myself. And it was, that was in 2010, you didn't have internet, 3G was something that was just probably starting out. 
And so it was really hard to get the material that, you know, you could get today on YouTube, on Udacity, on uh, a lot of MOOCs today. Mm. But back then it was incredibly hard to land on this material. Um, so I got, you know, to teach myself anyways, mostly uh, HTML, PHP, and web technologies. Mm. Uh, and then I then landed a job at um, SMS Media. I don't know if you've, if you've heard about it. Uh, no. Oh, okay. It's an old company. Uh, it was a mobile value-added service company. Basically, they were using SMS to um, to do content. You know, to uh, send out news, uh, gossip, uh, and also bulk SMS. Back then, was a huge deal. So people would subscribe for news, and they would receive this content over sms right mm. and then we could also like send out bulk sms's for people who wanted to do to do that mm. particularly uh people were doing weddings mm. yeah. uh, so it was a huge business really really big business uh back then the company had like maybe 15 employees mm. oh. so i got uh a, a job there and um <clears throat> wow it was it was quite incredible uh, you know, writing uh, applications and building stuff back then, and I sort of polished up my skills from from there. I worked there for probably a year or so, and then I moved on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that was like purely uh, by then, if you could put it in today's standard, it was purely front end sort of stuff or back end. So it's like full stack. stack, like full stack. Okay. So this this brings me also to the evolution of software development uh, as an industry of lately you will see guys throwing words like devops throwing words like i'm a back-end dev or whatever and people out of in the industry be like what what are you guys talking about so right. again uh just a quick one before we discuss i need you to tell me about uh, the software development talent sourcing in africa there's a new wave coming here i see it on twitter or whatever or the guys are saying uh, getting quality talent in Africa is something very hard. Yeah. Uh, do you agree with them? And do you agree? To I that don't or? necessarily agree with that. It really depends on what talent that you are looking out for. Mm. And I think what people don't understand is that uh, these are two different markets. Uh, Africa, okay, particularly Uganda, is quite different from um, Silicon Valley. So the talent that you need for a startup in Silicon Valley is quite different from the talent that you need for a startup that you're building in Uganda. Mm -hmm. And you ex if you want to expect the talent of Silicon Valley in Uganda, I think it's quite unfortunate and ridiculous on your part, <laughs> right? Because it's, it's just not going to happen. It's impossible. It just doesn't work. And I think that's what I see a lot of people trying to do. They want Silicon Valley talent for a startup that they're building in Uganda. Well, you don't need that technology and uh, all those that level platform to begin with. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, but otherwise, quite the talent is is really really there. It's just these expectations that people have. I'll give you an example. If you're rolling out uh, maybe um, an e-commerce store. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about that later. Mm. What you really need is 
uh, WordPress and WooCommerce, and those are readily available tools that even an intermediate developer here can really build a decent store, right? And it will serve the purpose. But if you're in Silicon Valley thinking about um, Shopify competitor and Amazon competitor, I don't think you're going to roll it out on uh, WooCommerce WordPress. You're probably going to build the entire stack from the ground up because the level of scale that you're looking for requires demands custom uh, building of platforms literally from the ground up mm. yeah yes True. so that that is a huge difference that I, I, I quite see here yeah I, do, I totally agree with you and then also another aspect I think you have overlooked is exposure of our uh, developers down here because I there's there's this wave of uh, people having limited exposure. On. You find someone in the, the IT space who who has not really been exposed to well, the myriads of yeah because options they have exposure is a function of the problems that you're trying to solve. <clears throat> so the problems that you're trying to solve here in Kampala are mm. quite different from the problems you're going to try to solve from Silicon Valley, right? Yes, it's it's quite different, and because the level of the, the, the problems are different or at a different scale, you're going to require a different set of tools. Again? Yeah. yeah, so until you have a developer in Kampala working for a startup in Silicon Valley with a different set of problems, they won't know those technologies. And they quite don't need to know them until they face a similar problem. Yes, so, uh, but this now limits our option to compete at a global scale as software devs. Don't you think so? It depends. So, mm. if your objective is to work for a startup in Silicon Valley, then you have to know those tools. Yeah, your, your level of skill has to uh, reach that, that level because their uh, problems are quite different. You're not going to use the skills that you need to solve Kampala problems to. Uh, build a set of solutions that you need for startup in Silicon Valley. That's not going to happen. True. Yes. True, exactly. So, uh, David, this, uh, so David, so this, this brings me to to the conversation of uh, building the e-commerce platform. You, you did talk about saying if you need, if you want to build e-commerce, let's say in Uganda, uh, good old WordPress and WooCommerce is enough for you. Absolutely. Yes. So. What, what has been your lesson so far uh, with Odoka? Uh, it started this year, right? At the beginning of this year. Yeah. yeah. First quarter, I believe. Pre-COVID. Uh, Pre-COVID. Yeah. Uh, that's first quarter, March. Yeah. Second quarter beginning. So here, uh, almost last quarter, the beginning of last quarter of 2019. 2020, yeah. sorry. So the, the key takeaways, whatever, just, just tell us. This, this brings, the discussion will be centered around uh, the people you have already hinted much about, right? about the, the technology for building. Yeah. And then it brings us to just the good old customer, classic customer service uh, distributions. And then let's say, let's talk about payment, payment methods maybe. Right. Uh, just, just tell us uh, experience so far. Uh, well, one, you have about 2.5 to 3 million Ugandans online mm-hmm. to begin with. Don't believe the UCC stats. <laughs> that is, uh, <laughs> that's not true. You have about 2.5 to uh, uh, 
uh, three million, and that's from stats that I get from um, uh, Google and, and the other platforms. Uh, two is the fact that we are almost at a takeoff stage for uh, e-commerce in Africa. Well, COVID literally just gave us a little bit of a push into this direction. And, you know, in 2020, I would, I would, I would say is the e-commerce moment, literally anywhere in the world, not just Africa, because of the pandemic. People were in lockdown and the only option they had was to order online. You either had to download an app, uh, get to a website, or basically just call up the, the guy at the market uh, to deliver to you or WhatsApp them. That is all e-commerce, mm. right? Yes, a hybrid of sorts. <clears throat> so it's been an incredible journey. A lot of things that I've learned, a lot of assumptions I had that I had to discard. Um, uh, for instance, uh, I initially thought that one of the stumbling blocks of e-commerce is the poor addressing structure that we have, you know, in most African cities. But then I realized, yes, that is partially true in the sense that it is really an inconvenience rather than a deterrent, right? Mm -hmm. So, yes, you don't have a proper addressing system, but that doesn't mean that the order cannot be delivered to the customer. On the contrary, any person in Kampala can be reached by the delivery guys, specifically the border border guys. These guys have the, no, the local knowledge so deep that they will find you in whatever unstructured um, area that you're living in. So it is really inconvenient. Yes, it's difficult takes a lot of calls and coordination and directions that are you know no no not quite clear but eventually the order will reach to the customer eventually so it's not really a deterrent right so that's one assumption that i initially had but what i got to learn eventually was that um <clears throat> why people don't really adopt e-commerce is a trust issue Trust is a big, big deal that I had underestimated. So you'll find people ordering after usually a referral from a friend or a family member relative, right? They'll make the order and then they'll have to wait for that order to come, open it and confirm that what they saw online is what is really been delivered to them. Yeah. And then they will hand you their hard and money thereafter. <laughs> and I don't blame them because the players that we've had uh, in this journey have been quite, uh, they have been not very trusted, right? So you have a lot of people putting up fake things online and fleecing people. So people have naturally developed a distrust for anything online there's a lot of fraud there's a lot of fleecing and this has set a very bad precedent for anyone who uh, develops an online store you basically have to fight so hard to earn people's trust exactly. yes 
So that is a big deal. The likes of OLX, okay, I don't want to name, but generally, <laughs> people have been placed online and they just don't trust anything online until you give them a reason enough to trust you. You have to earn that trust. But once that line has been passed, then the experience begins to be quite flawless. People will now change from cash on delivery to actually paying at checkout using either mobile money or visa this is not something a first-time customer is going to do no one is going to pay you <laughs> cashless for the very first time when they visit their store until you earn their trust and they absolutely sure that they are going to get the goods that you purport to be selling. <laughs> <laughs> really, really. Because um, you, you talked a lot, lot about it. But then a few things I picked up, uh, you, talk, you said everything is, is more of word of mouth, referrals yeah, from absolutely. friends or, or colleagues or uh, close acquaintances. Yeah. I think this this thing just looks at uh, people's uh, people's uh, psychology and people are on the online. Yeah. Look at I came across a tweet last week. I think last week. Right. The guy was saying everyone scroll through ads on Twitter or Facebook. Right. The first thing you do is skip an ad on YouTube whenever you're watching a video. Right. Uh, it's not bad to run ads, but then the trust component of building a brand around trust, then people talking about it, right. goes the last mile more than running ads more so i think this is something people really need to adopt not necessarily on selling products only yeah but even in service business or whatever is there absolutely something which needs to be taken on uh, seriously so uh, david um just before we wrap up a quick one uh, about on, on today's episode right talk to us the landscape of tech in uganda you have been here from early 2000s, the beginning of the century almost. So no, no, let's say let's say 2010. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we, we start from 2010. <laughs> yes. So tell us uh, the landscape of tech in Uganda. What do you think about it? Uh, what needs to change? The challenges you have seen so far is like gazillion things you <clears throat> can throw away here. Right. Mm. Uh, that's broad, but I'll try to uh, uh, maybe. Um, you know, summarize it according to the probably the biggest highlights. One is e-commerce uh, is 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 event eventually taking off. Um, I've already talked about that. Uh, fintech is also a big deal. Um, and quite a lot of uh, you know innovations in that space, uh, building cashless solutions that uh, bring convenience to the customer. So we've seen apps like uh, Zente, uh, Eversend, uh, Butter. Um, Yo, you got that? Uh, Safe Border, I believe. Yes, they are all integrating FinTech uh, in their platforms. Uh, and then obviously they are riding on top of telcos who are still play a huge part in technology they are almost like the backbone right of tech so contrary to the west where you have isps or internet providers who are basically in the background they i mean 
you barely know AT&T or Verizon unless you're in the US, really. But yet, you know, the likes of Google, Facebook, uh, Amazon, and so forth don't really, really rely uh, so much on uh, the ISPs, right? Of course, their services need internet, but they are not quite bundled uh, with the ISPs. But yet here in Africa, <laughs> you have to be in bed with an, with an ISP or a telco. Otherwise, they're going to screw you up. You, you get? If you don't have a go-ahead, if you really, don't have their blessing, then you're going to get screwed one or the other. And that is the reality that we have. So a lot of fintechs are building on top of uh, mobile hotel calls, uh, particularly mobile money, to roll out whatever solution they're doing, maybe mobile loans or uh, you know buying airtime or data or whatever it is, paying for something online. It is really very much uh, you know backed on the telco infrastructure. Uh, so that that is uh, one key observation. I I don't think um, I like that. I think that if these two platforms are unbundled, then innovation can really move fast, you know, because you don't have to. Um, you trust you. <laughs> you don't have to rely on the telco to to do whatever you need to do. Okay. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Uh, transportation is the other uh, key sector. So in 20, 2014, 2015, you had Uber coming into the country and basically introducing the, the concept of ride hailing of, you know, you can just, you know, use a smartphone app to hail a taxi or a, a special hire back then, as we used to call them. And, you know, you can go wherever you want to go, right? And then we saw Safe Border um basically build on the same concept but this time using a border borders motorcycle taxis mm -hmm. right yep. which turned out to be a huge success <clears throat> uh, quite monumental success <laughs> so actually when safe border came into the country said hmm, this is interesting i mean when uber came yeah. said this is interesting but the game changer is going to be border borders why? Because back then, I really used to, and still today, I quite heavily use border borders as opposed to, uh, you know, cars. So, yeah, true to my uh, uh, imagination, it was really quite big for safe border. And uh, we'll keep on seeing this evolving. Obviously, now safe border is moving away. It's incorporating a lot of other things into what is known as a super app of sorts, right? <clears throat> it's turning into a platform of various uh, facets. Yeah. Um, the other thing is healthcare. I think uh, the likes of uh, Rocket, Rocket Health or TMCG are doing interesting things in that area with telemedicine. Now, you know, you don't necessarily have to go to the hospital to do a malaria test if you're suspecting malaria. You know, you could just stay home and say, hey, guys, I think I may be having this issue. Can you come and take my blood sample? So they'll come, do blood samples, take them to the lab, and then send your results. And then you can know, you can rule that out, or then you can uh, decide on whatever course of action to do next. 
this is incredible. This is different, right? In healthcare. Um, that is interesting. So uh, Rocket Health is doing that and they're now uh, partnering with uh, health insurance companies and then corporate, corporates, Islamic Bank and so forth to onboard the entire staff onto that platform. Oh, that nice. is, yeah. <clears throat> um, so what else? Uh, housing, still quite disorganized. <laughs> you still have the broker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? And the OLX guys. Yeah. Even worse than the, the brokers. Yeah. So these OLX guys are going to post uh, a very different house from what you, the, <laughs> from what they are going to take you to. So that is prime for disruption for some strange reason. I don't know why no one is really, hasn't really done much in that area. But housing is uh, it's, uh, so much of a headache, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, most especially in Kampala. <clears throat> most especially in Kampala. Um, landlords are elusive. They don't want to interact with their clients. You know, they just want to receive their money at the end of the month. And I don't know, people want to move into their homes, their own homes. Building is a hassle, materials, <laughs> fake materials, the builders. I don't know why no one is disrupting this particular industry. But hopefully something will come up. Yep. Is there anything else uh, that left out? Almost, almost all pinpoints. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much mm. online. Of course, the digital economy, the gig economy, the influencer economy has quite caught on. You know, you have a lot of influencers online that are they are making a living out of just influencing for different brands and so forth. That's a new line of work that didn't exist maybe five years ago. Exactly. Uh, probably the next big thing is in that line still is going to be video. <clears throat> so I don't see a lot of YouTubers yet or TikTokers or whatever, uh, but that is an area to watch out for. Video is really going to be quite interesting. Now you have a lot of streaming services coming up. You have DSTV also joining the streaming bandwagon. Uh, so like right now at home, actually watch DSTV, but not through a decoder or a, or a dish. I use a, a stream via DSTV now. Yep. Complete all the DSTV channels, but through a, in, uh, an internet connection. The other thing is probably, of course, in that line is internet. Uh, right, It's still... at it hasn't changed much, by the way, in the last 10 years. Uh, Annoyingly. We started with using all this um, airtime for, for internet up to ban MBs. MBs. <laughs> we are still in the NB economy. Unfortunately, that that frustrates me a lot. And if I told you the, the, the prices of internet 10 years ago are not much different. Like, it's not a huge change from the prices that we have today. I can tell you that actually Orange was quite a disruptor back then other than any other telco today. Uh, so I think uh, the telco that is going to do quite different things now is one who is going to either bring uh, unlimited internet or high volume internet, mm. right? Speeds we have. 4G is actually quite decent and fast. Mm. The problem is the volume. They'll give you 4G. And then you buy 20, 50 MBs. What is that going to help you with? Right? Yeah. But if you're talking 100 GBs, right, per month on 4G, and I'm paying maybe 100K UGX, mm, or, um, yeah, 
that is decent. So high volume or unlimited. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, maybe the company that is doing something in that line is Zook One and, and Liquid. Mm-hmm. At home, I use a Zook Link. It's unlimited. It's decent speeds. Sometimes I clock 10 Mbps. Mm-hmm. And I pay 170K. Okay. And to me, this is as actually a leap forward. Right, that I use internet and I'm not quite conscious of the MBs that are running out. It is uh, it's a different paradigm, and because of that, now I can afford to subscribe to Netflix, Prime Video, DSTV Now, and all these other services. Work from home, and it is internet is not a deterrent. It's not a, a roadblock anymore. So these are the, some of the things that need to be done. There's a lot of fiber that has been laid on the ground, but there's really much that is coming out of that infrastructure, if at all it's available, that has been laid around Kampala. But if you look at other cities, particularly Nairobi, it is incredible what Safaricom and Zuko have done in this area. Yep. Yeah. Surprising. <coughs> surprising. Is it surprising? <laughs> <laughs> Compared to what Compared to you guys. Okay. Kampala, per se, yeah? Right. Yep. So, uh, David, uh, and thank you for, for this episode. But uh, for the love of everyone else, um, I need to ask you this question. Uh, the kindest thing someone has done for you. <laughs> for real. There are a lot of kind things that people have done for me. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I get lazy. Like it's quite trivial for me, but when I'm sitting home on a couch, and then I tell my wife to just get me a cup of tea or water. That is <laughs> it's too kind for me. It's trivial, but it's quite kind for me. Uh, and such, you know, small things like that uh, speak to me quite a lot. All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thanks for this. Thanks for being here with me today. Sarah, good, good, good to have you. All right. Uh, so, guys, that was David O'Quee. This is my life in take from the Dignity Show. Catch you guys next week or next season.